0: I've not met you before, as I said before the dedications, my name is Ian. I lead this site of Cardiff North with my wife Sophie, um, and it has been a while since either of us actually spoke um, in in this North site. Uh, It's been a while. And for those of you who don't know, that's because Sophie and I recently became parents. Um, Thank you. Uh, We now have a little boy called Robin, um, and he'll be six weeks old tomorrow. And he is just... He is just the most gorgeous little man. I love him to bits. And it's amazing how much life changes in just six weeks since he was born. You know, who knew that you could be so grateful for four hours straight sleep? I've never been so grateful for four hours sleep in my life. But we are absolutely loving being parents, it is amazing and we have been so blessed by James and Jen who lead this church and the leadership team of this church who have allowed us to take some time over the last month or so just to take a step back from our leadership role um, in order to just adjust to the reality of becoming parents. So that's why you won't have seen much of us lately I suppose, but it's fantastic to be back and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be sharing with you this morning. And today we're going to be continuing in our We Believe series. We've been in this series since early September. And personally, I think it's been an amazing series. I've loved catching up on the talks I've missed. And I can, I can say that with integrity because until today I haven't done any of the talks. So I can say it's an amazing series because I'm not bigging myself up <laughs> in that. But if you've missed any of the talks, you can catch up with them online. and I'd love to encourage you to do that. But what I've loved about this series is that it's brought us right back to thinking about the core beliefs of our faith. Who is God? Who is Jesus? The cross, the resurrection, and so on. And there are so many things that we can get distracted by in Christianity. Different theological debates and opinions about a whole range of issues. But in the vineyard, we always want to stay focused on what's central to our faith. What we refer to in the vineyard as the main and the plain. I think that's a phrase that James used earlier on in this series. We don't want to get distracted by secondary issues, you see. We want to stay focused on Jesus. We want to be captivated by him and compelled by his love. We always want to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what we've been trying to do with this series, is focus on the main thing. Remind ourselves what is central to our belief to be clear on those beliefs, and to hopefully stand together as a community in agreement on what we believe. And it's, I think it's really important that we're clear on these things, because as James shared in the opening talk of the series, what we believe determines the way that we live. What we believe determines the way that we live. And if we're going to be a church community who will obediently follow Jesus and embrace the mission that he has called us to in Cardiff and beyond, then, we, then what we believe will ultimately determine the extent to which we do that. So we need to be clear on what we believe, because it, if it determines the way that we're going to live. That determines the way we choose to engage with what Jesus calls us to. And throughout this series, we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed, Uh, Just a quick reminder, if that's new to you, the Apostles' Creed is a doctrinal statement of belief that was developed by early Christians um, in the first few centuries of the church. And to put it simply, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of the Christian faith, handed down over centuries. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of the Christian faith, what, what the churches have taught for hundreds of years. And for this series, it has provided us with a framework giving language to our core beliefs. But James made a really important point in, the, in Talk 1 that I just want to reiterate, that though the Apostles' Creed is helpful to give language to our beliefs, it is not the source of our beliefs or the truth in and of itself. We believe that the Bible is the truth, that the Scripture is divinely inspired by the Word of God, and the Apostles' Creed merely serves to reflect that truth of Scripture and point us to it and help us to make sense of it. That's what the Apostles' Creed is for. And today, as we continue to unpack um, what we believe, we will be looking at a single line from the Apostles' Creed. This line is remarkably vague and yet incredibly significant. I believe in the Holy Spirit. When, when I got given this talk and I looked at that line, I was like, I know there's been some challenging talks in this series, but is there more, is there more to give me than, than the one line? But as I've started to obviously put this talk together and read the scriptures and think about my journey with Jesus over a number of years, there is so much. We could speak on the Holy Spirit for the rest of this year and beyond. There is so much we could talk about. But the, de- the Apostles' Creed declares, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? What do we actually believe about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is his role? These are some of the questions that Christians and churches still disagree on today. So I'm going to attempt to tackle these questions this morning uh, by taking a look at what the Bible teaches us and trying to bring some clarity on what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And then having looked at what Scripture has to say in response to these questions, I want to invite us to consider what that means for us today as well because essentially what we believe about the Holy Spirit will shape the way that we live as followers of Jesus today. So we've got a lot to get through this morning. The, you know, we're going to be here for the next year or so as I unpack everything that I've been mulling on. Um, now, I'll, keep, I'll try and keep it to one, one sermon. And I just want to pray before I go any further. Just welcome the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Lord God, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you that, as Mark said, this isn't just a service. This is a church community gathering together around you. And I just pray that as I share these words this morning, that you would be right at the center. I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to fill this place, to open up our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us today. So come and have your way, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as I said, beliefs about the Holy Spirit are still the subject of debate across different church denominations and traditions. So before we get into the Bible, I just want to explain two of the main uh, positions or perspectives that are opposite ends of the spectrum in this debate. And to clarify where we stand as the Vineyard Church. And so the two opposing positions are the cessationist view and the charismatic view. They're kind of at two opposing ends of the spectrum. And where these two perspectives uh, most clearly disagree is on their interpretation of whether the gifts of the Spirit that empower believers to pray for healing, prophesy over one another, speak in tongues, perform other miracles, and so on. You know, the things that we saw Jesus and the disciples doing in the New Testament they disagree over whether those things still happen today. And the cessationist view claims that the gifts of the spirit and the miraculous and the mystical experiences that we read about no longer happen. And in contrast to that, the charismatic view teaches that the gifts of the spirit are still available to us today and that miraculous signs of the kingdom, such as uh, divine healing, continue to take place today. And to be honest, both of these views have their pitfalls. You know, the danger of the cessationist view is that it often plays down what many consider to be the active work and presence of the Holy Spirit today, denying what the Holy Spirit is doing. And while while on the other hand, the danger of the charismatic view is that an overemphasis on physical experiences can often lead us into hyped up environments. You might have seen uh, things on the telly or on YouTube, churches where things seem to be getting crazy, and, and but sometimes that is the Lord. But in other environments, that is people hyping up situations, playing on emotions. And in the vineyard, we don't want to fall into these traps. We want to be careful to avoid this. Um, we do believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still available to believers today. We believe that. And that the Holy Spirit does continue to empower Christians to pray healing for the sick, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, and to see miraculous signs of the kingdom today. We believe that. We believe the Spirit still does it. But at the same time, though we are expectant for what the Holy Spirit will do and seek to create environments where people can have a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit, we don't ever want to hype up those moments. We never want it to be hype. We never want it to be man-made or forced. I recently heard a vineyard pastor say in one of his sermons, it's not power for the sake of power, it's always power for a purpose. And what that means is that we believe it is possible for people to experience, though we believe that it is possible for people to experience the power of God and the Holy Spirit today, And of course, we want people to have those experiences. We want people to meet with God. What is important to remember is that it's not about the experience itself. It's about what that experience does in us. You know, questions like, did that encounter make me more aware of God? Did that experience make me more aware of my sin? Did that moment bring a change in me? Did it bring me peace and comfort? Did it lead me to repentance or confession? Did it stir something in me from the heart of God? Did it create in me a desire to become more like Jesus? These questions aren't about the experience, they're about what the experience does in us. You see, there's always a danger that we chase, that we try and chase a physical thing, that we go after the experience and make it all about that, but lose sight of what the Holy Spirit is really doing. What's the purpose in the power? But what I want to make clear from the outset is that we in the vineyard believe, what we believe about the work of the Holy Spirit today is that he always brings power for a purpose. There is always a reason. If you're here this morning or if you're here at any other service or in any other of our gatherings and you see something that seems a little bit weird, you know, someone's being prayed for and and you're wondering, why is that happening? It's not happening just for the sake of it happening. There's a reason why God is meeting with that person. And we never want to get focused on the experience. It's not about the experience, but it's about what it does to us. So we don't ever want to pretend that God is doing something that he isn't. And we never want to hype up a situation to make it look like he is when he's not. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And we want to do the same. Now I appreciate that Many of us will have come from different experiences and backgrounds, different church backgrounds. And some of us probably haven't come from any church background at all. You know, that's my story. I didn't grow up in the church. didn't step foot in a church if it wasn't a wedding, a christening, or a funeral before I was 18. And then when I was 18, after I left college, I thought I'd give church a try. I was exploring faith for the first time, um, asking questions. I hadn't heard about Alpha. If I had, I'd have got myself along to that. If you're asking questions about faith at the moment, man, I'd encourage you to get along to Alpha. My wife, Soph, she did it twice. She thought it was so good. Um, and it's just amazing that it asks, gives you a chance to ask so many questions about Christianity in a safe environment. But when I started coming along to church for the first time, I knew barely anything. You know, I knew the stuff that you learn in church. I knew uh, in church. <laughs> I hadn't been to church. In school. I knew about um, Easter and Christmas. Someone asked me who Jesus was. I could have probably told you a little bit about him. But I didn't know much. And I definitely didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. But during those first few months of exploring church, and it was a vineyard church that I came to faith in, by the way, that I was, I was in um, down in Taunton in Somerset, where I'm from. Um, and it was during those first few months that I became aware that there was something different in those gatherings that I was going along to. In those Sunday mornings as I was going to the service, there was something about the atmosphere in those environments that I had never experienced anywhere else before. I couldn't explain it. And it was particularly during those times of worship, like we had this morning, and during uh, what we call ministry times, after the talk, when we pray for one another. Those were the times that I noticed it the most. If I'm honest, from the first few months, I couldn't tell you what was being preached. It was just going over my head. I didn't understand a word of it, really. I was kind of not that interested. But it was in the worship and the ministry that I was just seeing something happen that I couldn't explain. Something was happening to people as they worshiped and prayed for each other. And I, I'd never seen it before. I couldn't explain what was happening. What I was seeing was people encountering the Holy Spirit, although I didn't know what that was at the time. And then after a while, you know, I would start to engage with it myself. I probably didn't sing a single song for the first month of going to church, but I started to sing, I started to engage with what was going on. At the end of a service, probably a couple of months along the line, I'd respond and someone prayed for me. And I started to experience what I assume everyone else was experiencing at the time. If if that wasn't what other people were experiencing, then I was a bit, what's going on here? But when people would pray for me, I would feel a sense of peace and comfort. As I started to read the Bible, the truth about who Jesus was began to come alive in me. During times of worship, I would start to feel this reassurance of the identity I had in Jesus. But also, for the first time in my life, a real conviction of my sin. The things in my life that I shouldn't be doing. The way that I shouldn't be living. I remember in the first year or so of going to church, most Sundays, at some point in the service, I would probably be brought to tears. Whether it was something that was said, or in a song, or someone prayed for me. And that was just the Spirit of God touching my heart and showing me how broken I was, but how loved I was by Him. And over the years, I have experienced and seen greater demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And as I stand here today before all of you, I know that I'm a man who's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. I know that. I'm different from the man that you would have met when I was 18, stepping foot in church for the first time. And that's no credit to myself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within me. And I know that the Holy Spirit continues to transform me today. I am by no means perfect. I am by no means have I reached the goal of where I would like to get to and where the Holy Spirit is leading me. But he continues in God's grace and his mercy to transform me. And he's doing this in each of us that call on his name. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in in the world today. But as I said, I appreciate that many of us come at this from different backgrounds and have different experiences of this and potentially different views as we sit here today on who the Holy Spirit is. So let's turn our attention to those two questions that I set out at the beginning. Who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role? And let's see what we can learn from the Bible. Let's start with the first question, shall we? Who is the Holy Spirit? If I asked you, where do we first encounter the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Where do you think we would turn to? The answer is as a number of you, I think I heard you say, is Genesis chapter 1. In fact, it's the opening two verses of the Bible. Let's take a look quickly. Uh, It should appear on the screen behind me. Genesis 1 verses 1 to 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right there in the second verse of the Bible, we read that God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. Here we have the Bible's creation story. It's a narrative, a story telling us something about the way the world was created. And and it serves to teach us about the relationship creation has to its creator, to God. And what we're told right here in verse 2 is that the Spirit of God was present and involved in creation. Right there in verse 2, the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning in creation. Now, the lesson that the Old Testament writers wanted us to, to learn here is that it is through the Holy Spirit that God creates, maintains, and interacts with his creation. It's through his Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is therefore God's presence on the earth. So I want you to take hold of that this morning, that The Holy Spirit is God's presence on the earth. If that's all you remember from this morning, then hopefully you'll remember more than that. But but remember that, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is God's presence on the earth. And as we've already taught in this series, we believe in a Trinitarian God. You know, a number of those songs that we sang today, this morning, um, alluded to that. We believe in a God who is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, there is one God, but he exists in three forms or if you like, three persons. And this idea, um, you can see it clearly in Scripture. I'm amazed that people read the Bible and don't see it. That's always baffled me, ever since I became a Christian. You know, you read Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.'" It's right there. How can you ignore that? And at the end of um, his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, signs off with this. May the grace of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit. There it is again. The Trinity is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. It's, it's incredible. How do we explain it? But in both of these examples and in many more in the, in the Bible, we see reference to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's really important to understand as we talk about the Trinity is that each member of the Trinity is distinguished um, from one from each other. Each, each of them is different, and yet each of them is fully God. The Father is fully God, the Son, Jesus, is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is also fully God. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, we're talking about someone who is fully God. Now, the word for spirit that we find in verse 2 and throughout the Old Testament is the Hebrew word ruach. you kind of got to spit it out. And ruach in Hebrew means breath or wind. So it could literally be translated the breath of God. You know, we say the spirit of God, but you could translate it the breath of God. And this is interesting because in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, uh, the word that is most often translated as spirit is the Greek word pneuma, And so you have these two words. And pneuma in Greek also means breath or wind. And these two words have been used to describe the spirit because they want to teach us something specific. Both of these words describe something that is invisible and yet powerful and has the ability to set other things in motion. You cannot see your breath, can you? You know, if you're breathing, you cannot see your breath. But if you hold your hand up and breathe on it, you know that something is happening. You feel it. Likewise, you cannot see the wind, but you can look out the window and see that it's windy when you see, it's not that windy today, it's a bad example, but when you look out and see the trees moving and the leaves fluttering, and you know that the wind is present, the Holy Spirit is the power emanating from God that puts all things into motion. It is invisible, but it is present, and it brings life, action, and animation to this world. This is what I saw on people when I went along to church for the first time. You know, I was describing in the worship and as people were being prayed for, seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit on people. Uh, you know, people as they were being prayed would cry or they would shake. They would stir. They would smile. They would, their ears would go red. Their faces would go red. They might sweat. Things were happening as the Holy Spirit touched people. And I had no explanation for it. But I knew that something was happening because I could see it. I'd encourage any of you at the end of a service, if the Spirit of God isn't doing something on you, for for months and actually for years, I have loved just observing what the Spirit of God is doing and asking him, Lord, what are you doing in this room today? What are you doing on that person that you're meeting with right now? And it's part of our education as Christians, learning to see what the Spirit of God is doing. Went a bit off notes there. Let's see if I can find my way back. We cannot see the Spirit of God, but we can see signs of his presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit provides us with a visible sign of an invisible God. It provides us with a visible sign of an invisible God. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and he is also fully God. In fact, he is the Spirit of God on this earth, God's presence on the earth. And before we move on to the next question, I just want to make this point. The Holy Spirit is not a force that we wield. It's not like um, being a Jedi in Star Wars where you can move things. Uh, It's not a force. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a person. You know, if we read through the Bible, we learn that he can think and make decisions. He can act of his own will, of, of the will of God. He can speak. Acts 8, 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. You know, in both of these verses, we see the Spirit speak. He can also feel. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved? Uh, Paul warns us in Ephesians four thirty do not grieve the Holy Spirit, makes you, what could, What do I do that grieves the Holy Spirit? We can be known by him, and he can be known by us. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, and so we must show him respect and honor. We should listen to him, and we should be obedient to him. And this is why we often pray, come Holy Spirit. You might have if you're new to this church or if you're new to church in general, you might have heard sometimes when we start a service or we pray, we say, come Holy Spirit. You know, it's not that the Spirit isn't present or that He needs encouragement. It's not like we're teasing Him out, like, come Holy Spirit, come on, come on. It's not what we're doing. Come on, come and move in power. That's not what we're doing when we say, come Holy Spirit. And it's not that He's somehow under our control. It's not like, We're his master, and we control him. It's not that he works under our orders, as if God's power is something that we could turn on or off like a light switch. That's not what this is. If anything, it's not that the Holy Spirit should obey us and do what we say. It's that we should obey what the Holy Spirit is saying and do what he says. So when we pray, come Holy Spirit, it's not a command. It's an invitation. It's an acknowledgement. We are recognizing his presence, welcoming his presence, and we're saying, please, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Your will be done in this place, right here, right now. Come, Holy Spirit is simply us declaring that we are ready, expectant, and willing to do what he wants to do in the name of Jesus in that given moment. I hope that was helpful to to share. Okay, let's move on to the next question then. If that's who the Holy Spirit is, then what is his role? If you were to read through the Old Testament, you would notice that in various moments, the Spirit of God rested on certain individuals and empowered them. The Spirit rested on Joshua in Numbers, and David in 1 Samuel, and even on Saul, um, who was opposed to David in 1 Samuel. And in the book of Judges, the Spirit came upon various judges who God was raising up to deliver Israel from their oppressors. So throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on various individuals for specific tasks. But when God's favor left them, so would the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit would rest on them for a certain task when God's favor was with them. But when his favor left them, if they were disobedient or no longer following him, his spirit would go too. And the Spirit was also active in the prophets and spoke to them. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And one such prophet that God spoke through was the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, great name by the way, Ezekiel, like that name. We went with Robin for our little (laughs) band, but Ezekiel was a close second for us. So, just give me, the look that says no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> Ezekiel prophesied that one day God would put his spirit in his people in a way that would help them to live the way that God had always intended for them. In Ezekiel 36, God speaks through his prophet saying, "I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move to follow you, follow move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws." God's plan was to put his spirit within his people to help them live life the way he live life to the full in the way that he had always intended for us. But when would that time come? You know, Ezekiel was speaking hundreds of years before the New Testament, thousands of years ago from today. Well, it started with Jesus. Luke 3 tells the account of Jesus' baptism. And we read here, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now, not only is this yet another example of the Trinity turning up together in Scripture, but it, this account of Jesus' baptism is also a parallel to that Genesis 1 where it spoke of the Spirit hovering over the waters, over the deep. You know, the, this picture of the Spirit descending on Jesus and hovering over him like a dove we're meant, to, we're meant to notice the similarity there. You know, when the, the writers were writing these these words, they were trying to help us draw that link. This is the same Spirit. Luke then goes on to tell us in chapter 4 that Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Then after the temptation, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And when he got there... He read aloud in the synagogue from Isaiah 61, proclaiming the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He recognized that the spirit of God was on him. How could he not? How could he not notice the spirit of God was on him? We've already seen how in the Old Testament, the spirit would rest on people, on God's people, and empower them, but then he would leave them when his favor was no longer with them. However, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, from no point after his baptism, do we read that the Spirit leaves him through during his ministry? It empowers him to proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, to perform miracles, and to cast out demons. In Jesus, we see the perfect example of what a human looks like and is capable of when they are full of the Spirit of God, walking in the power of the Spirit and living as God intended us to. So he knew a thing or two about the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew a thing or two about the Spirit, right? Right? And when he was on the earth with his disciples, he taught them about the Holy Spirit. This is what he said in John 14. If you you love me, keep my commands, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that that he may abide in you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the Helper, and also the Spirit of Truth. Did you notice those two names he gave for the Holy Spirit? And later in John, he said these things, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I have said to you. And when he comes, he will convict you of your, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and, one, and the coming judgment. He will testify of me, And when he has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I just want to summarize, I went through a lot of verses there, and I just want to summarize what Jesus tells his disciples about the Holy Spirit, and what the Spirit will do when he's sent. He will be sent to teach them and guide them in all truth. He will be sent to uh, make the world aware of its sin and of God's righteousness, but most importantly, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would come to make Jesus known and to glorify him. So, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is to make Jesus known to the world. That is why the Holy Spirit is here, to make Jesus known. That is the first task he's been given. And Jesus knew that the work of the Holy Spirit would be so significant that he even told his disciples that it would be better for Jesus to leave this earth so that the Holy Spirit could come and guide them. Can you believe that? If you were one of his disciples, you'd be like, no, no way. I don't want you to ever leave. You know, every party you go to with Jesus, the water turns into wine. Why would you ever want him to leave? It happened at least once. and what we you know Jesus said it would be better for me to leave so that the holy spirit can come and we see this exact thing happen in the book of acts in acts 1 before Jesus left his disciples to go to heaven he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the father had promised and that in a few days they would be filled with the holy spirit then in acts 2 the spirit of god came in power when the when the day of pentecost came the disciples were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest upon them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues of other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Here in Acts 2, we see the same Spirit that came on Jesus when he was baptized, now resting on and filling his disciples and if we were to read on in the next few in the rest of the book of Acts we would see how it didn't stop with just Jesus's 12 disciples the Holy Spirit continued to fall upon and fill all of those who believed in Jesus all those who repented of their sin and declared Jesus as Lord the Holy Spirit filled them and fell upon them so we see here, as we've moved through from the Old Testament to the New, that what Ezekiel prophesied began to happen, with, first with Jesus and then with his disciples and then to all those who believed. And I believe the Holy Spirit continues to work in this way today. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, but that they can, for the Spirit will dwell in them and, and be with them. And this echoes Ezekiel all over again, that he would put his spirit in his people. This concept of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is something that the Apostle Paul picked up in, in, numerous of the letter, in a number of the letters that he wrote that we read in the New Testament. It is what he described in Colossians 1 as Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Romans 8, Paul says, "...the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children." And I love the way the message puts that verse. It says, God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. God's Spirit talks to us about our identity as God's children. Paul states that the Holy Spirit works to reassure us that we are children of God. If you are here today and you believe in Jesus and the Spirit of God is in you, you can be confident of your salvation, confident of your identity, confident that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and is working for you. And then in Ephesians 1, in verses 13 to 14, he says this. Paul says this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. According to Paul, we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment we choose to believe in Jesus and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit acts as a marker, a seal, guaranteeing our salvation but according to Paul there is also an ongoing work of the spirit within us it's not just a seal upon us that is one of the things the Holy Spirit is for us but there's another thing an ongoing work in his letter to the Christians in Rome Paul teaches that those who live according to the flesh have set their minds have set their minds on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have set their minds on what the spirit desires the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Paul is saying that those who live by the spirit ought to live differently from those who live by the desires of the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 3, he explains that all those who recognize Jesus as their Lord are being transformed into his image by the Holy Spirit. If you recognize Jesus as Lord, he is making you more like Jesus. The new The New Living Translation says that through the Spirit, we who are being made, we who believe are being made more and more and more like Jesus. And so we find the other key role of the Holy Spirit, first to make Jesus known, and then to make those who know Jesus more like Jesus. So what does it look like to become more like Jesus? What does that look like? It's partly about doing the things that Jesus did. It's partly about that, about praying for the sick and prophesying and trying to turn water into wine and loving the poor and sharing the gospel. But first and foremost, it's about becoming more like him and who we are. The author J.I. Packer says, The Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character. In Galatians 5.22, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, Paul gives us an example of what it looks like to live more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus means that we become more loving and joyful, that we have more peace and patience, that we are more kind and good and faithful and gentle, and that we have more self-control. I don't know about you, But when I read that list and and read through it, I know for sure that I want to be more like that. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have more of those characteristics in my life. I definitely want to be that version of me. You know, that version of me is better for for me and also for those around me. I remember hearing uh, Nathan Gilbert, who was one of our former associate pastors, when he preached once, he said, the best version of you is the spirit-filled you. That's always stuck with me. The best version of you is the spirit-filled you. So how do we grow in these things and become more like Jesus? Paul gives us some advice Uh, a bit later in Galatians 5.25, he says, so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Or another translation says, walk in step with the Spirit. In order to become the best version of ourselves, we need to take Paul's advice. We need to become aware of the Holy Spirit, and we need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you, do you currently uh, live with an awareness of the Spirit of God in your life? I know for me personally that I find this difficult, but if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then our lives should look different from those around us and those who don't uh, have the Spirit within them. To become more aware of the Spirit, we need to learn to ask daily questions like, Holy Spirit, where are you leading me today? What are you saying to me? What are you showing me? Holy Spirit, what what do you want to change in me? What do you want to do through me for the world around me? Praying through some of these questions each day will surely help us to develop an awareness of the Spirit in our lives. And then there's learning to walk in step with the Spirit. This is about being obedient to the Spirit of God in our daily lives. You know, Ezekiel's prophecy was all about God putting His Spirit within us so that we could walk obediently in step with Him. But none of us are expected to walk perfectly in this from the beginning, from day one. You know, it's a bit like the celebrities on Strictly Come Dancing. Bear with me for just a moment. Have we got any Strictly fans in the room? Oh, okay, so this might work. You know, I'll be honest, a few years ago, Strictly wouldn't have even gone near me. I couldn't tell you the difference between a foxtrot and a tango. I could, it was not for me. But, you know, I've been married for five years and. <laughs> We have spent many a Saturday night watching the show. I've been a good husband. And I'll be honest, I do rather enjoy it now. I do quite like it. I'm, I'm not so fussed about everything in the middle, but I quite enjoy the dancing. Um, can't dance myself, but you never know, one day. Um, but the thing is, uh, and as well, you know, we'll watch the show and we'll watch it and we'll get to the end. And I'm like, that was an amazing dance. And then the judges are just ripping it to shreds. And then I'm watching another dance and I'm like, that was terrible. And then all the tens go up. And I just, maybe I'm watching the wrong show. Well, anyway, most of the celebrities have no professional like experience of dancing. Uh, so at the beginning of the series, they're usually really bad. But Jen, as the show begins to go on, you know, some of them begin to get better. You know, just because they're on the show doesn't mean that overnight they're going to become this amazing dancer. It doesn't just happen miraculously like that. But as weeks go by, as they practice, and as they learn to follow the lead of their partner, most of them will gradually improve and get the hang of of dancing. And learning to walk in step with the Spirit is a little bit like this. We are not expected to get it right from the beginning. We're often going to make mistakes. But if we learn to follow the Spirit's lead... Over time, we will learn how to live the way that God intended us to live. How will we know that we're walking in step with the Spirit? We'll see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is the sign that we are walking in step with the Spirit. Jesus said it himself: "If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit." It's by the Spirit in our life, it's by the fruit in our lives that we know that we are walking with the Spirit. I know that I want to be the best version of me that I can be. I want to be the best version of me that God has made me to be. So in finishing, who is the Spirit, Who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role? The Holy Spirit is the presence of God on the earth, and he is working to make Jesus known and to make us more like Jesus. This is what he has been doing since the day of Pentecost, and he continues to do this today. And it's and it's as we are filled by the holy spirit and as we become aware of the holy spirit and as we learn to walk in step with the holy spirit that we begin to live in the way that god made us to live at the end of the day our understanding of the holy spirit isn't based solely on knowledge i could stand up here uh, all day or i could st- or every single sunday for the rest of this year telling you about the holy spirit but the thing is it's not just about knowledge it's about encounter the Holy Spirit is a person. As I said at the beginning, he can lead us, He can speak to us, he can lead us, he can guide us, he can convict us of our sin, transform us, and most importantly, make Jesus known to us. Jesus sent him to be with us. The Spirit knows us, and he wants us to know him. You can learn a lot about a person by reading about them, can't you? But you only truly get to know a person by spending time with them. In order for us to know the Holy Spirit, be aware of his presence, and learn to walk in step with him, all of us need to experience and encounter him for ourselves. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe that the best thing that could ever happen to this church is that we would be more aware of and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move in us today. So if you're able to, why don't you stand?